Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and get started now. This is Brandon, and I'm joined by Mountain Carl, and we are back at Sensibly Loud Radio. Carl, how's it going? It's going pretty good. We had a pretty good time last, uh, last or this Friday. We, we got together and played a little Bond Seen It. Have you, uh, have you ever played a Seen It game before, Brandon? Uh, I haven't. Uh, this was the first time, surprisingly. Yeah, it's, it's uh, for those of you who haven't done like a Seen It game, which I'm assuming they're all still on dvd and whatnot but it's it's a little bit of a clusterfuck starting out um you know like you get you get everything together the game is remarkably simple to play the questions are remarkably hard they they expect you to know literally everything about these movies which if you'd asked me six months ago when i was fresh in my bond kick and i was going through james bond you know movies left and right i was crushing it had seen it. It was all very fresh in my mind. Uh, bringing it back to this last uh, or this Friday, it was it was just like uh, <laughs> I was stab I was stabbing in the dark, dude. It was not it was not the uh, the tight game that I was expecting to play. And uh, you brutalized uh, Mountain Girlfriend and myself uh, both times we played it, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, you had thought of a kind of a pretty creative idea though uh, when you were when we were talking about CNET in, in general, like how has nobody actually created a download service for this kind of thing yet? Like a, a streaming service, right? Yeah. It, it's kind of like, you know, there are those of us out there that, you know, obviously if there's gatherings and, you know, where you have food and maybe some booze and stuff like that, you know, there, there might be some, uh, some, you know, board games and stuff to be had, but, uh, for stuff like this, you know, where you kind of still have to go back to the DVD and wait on it to load certain menus and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was just kind of thinking, like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, someone's like on the go and instead of packing all your board games, especially say if you're going to, you know, the mountains of Colorado, for example, right? Uh, you know, there's some sort of like Netflix streaming service sort of deal where it's a interactive virtual service, you know, kind of like Steam, but for board game players. That's a really good point. I mean, the fact that like you, you can't, uh, this isn't like packing a a thing of cards. Mm -hmm. Right. And obviously like that, that comes in many different varieties because (laughs) if you're talking about like the bigger blacker box or whatever, right. You know, uh, from cards against humanity, that'll take up like an entire duffel. But, uh, if you're, if you're really talking about moving seen it around the Mm -hmm. country, uh, if you guys haven't seen this box, uh, it's giant. I mean, like it, we we have a place for it on our shelf of board games, and it probably takes up a solid like twenty five percent of the entire shelf. And we've got a ton of board games. 
Which is pretty amazing that the packaging is that big because you look at the board and it's probably like the thinnest board I've ever seen. You can fold it up so many different times and then the pieces are really small. So I, I don't know. I don't understand why the the box is so big other than to just stick out and be like, you know, Hey, buy me. Yeah, exactly. Hey, look what I've done. Yeah. It's like definitely got the, uh, it is kind of creative in the fact that every single seated box is all metal. Right. And they, I mean, I assume they're all metal. Every single one I've seen is all metal. And Mm -hmm. they've kind of almost got like the, uh, the old school, like lunchbox style, you know, artwork all over it. You know, that kind of, uh, it wouldn't be like painted, but I I guess they've got some raised areas and stuff like that. It's a very fancy box. Part of me wonders if you're like 90% of what you're paying for is the box manufacturing. I mean, they, they are not cheap games. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty insane. And, and the hardest part about all these things was especially a thing like Bond, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you had a Harry Potter seen it, right? Like if, if you stopped uh, when all the movies were released and you got that Harry Potter seen it and everything and you're like, okay, well, I can play this game, you know, forever. And everything is pretty much locked in to that revision level of the right, game. Right. With Bond, they're not stopping making them anytime soon right so our version of seeing it went all the way through uh casino royale right mm-hmm. and that was the big deal is like oh my god you know casino royale is coming out you know it's a brand new scenic game and it's like I, I don't know why you would come out with a new version just for that movie you know right but it must be easy enough to press a new dvd you know to to have that kind of information on it but i don't know it's just very very interesting to to think through how all of that happens and and i mean like i'm sure there's more up-to-date versions now but certainly it's not like madden you know where you keep downloading new rosters (laughs) as the year goes on it's like you got to spend another 70 dollars or whatever on a board game so i don't know it to that end it kind of seems like it doesn't have the same kind of longevity that some of the other board games will but uh it's kind of funny i mean like you pointed out uh they the whole thing was narrated by john cleese which is is pretty pretty hilarious if you know your your bond history as as he was r right to to take the place of uh take the place of q right and he was supposed to be the new q and he was going to be promoted and it was going to be this big deal and uh like die another day came out and it was his big debut and then they were like we're going to go a different direction with the franchise yeah, you have to be pissed off about that if you're John Cleese and you like were expecting this nice, you know, consistent paycheck mm-hmm. for basically being yourself on camera yep. and talking about like random shit for five seconds. And uh and like now you're like, oh well, I guess uh I guess we're going a different direction. Like I had my payday like two times in a row and I was gonna get a big pay bump, but not anymore. So that kind of sucks. Yeah, but, it, it's interesting because, uh, you know, with the whole history of Bond, and there's actually a documentary called Everything or Nothing that came out. Um, this was right after Casino Royale. It was like late 2000s, I think. And it really kind of documented everything from Bond from the very beginning days of Ian Fleming's novels to Dr. No, the first time on film and, and going forward. But it's uh, what's real interesting is... Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember their names. I want to say it's Neil and Wade are the uh, main writers for Bond, and they have been since Goldeneye. 
And what's interesting is they're still writing those films. Right. But you've seen such a, a transition and, and an arc of, you know, how the Bond films used to be in the 90s, how it was all fun. And, you know, uh, Pierce Brosnan had some hammy lines like <laughs> like in <laughs> Die Another Day where he he's on the tank and he, he jumps off it to get on the bell. And then he, he falls down and he goes, oh, saved by the bell. <laughs> I'm just oh, so cringeworthy, but yep. you know, but it was a fun movie and it still made a, a good amount of money. It was just the reviews were just got awful. So I, I think that's why they wanted to take it a different direction. Plus it was a post nine 11 world, you know? So die right. another day came out in 99 and everything felt like a music video. I think, uh, I think the film franchise that kind of adopted what bond was doing then for the Pierce Brosnan films is, is obviously, um, not gone in 60 seconds, but, uh, 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 Fast and Furious. You know, they right. pretty much have done what those movies were doing. So, and it's working for them because you know they don't have to take it seriously. But yep. I'm glad that Bond went into more of a serious direction. No, I I also agree with that. Um, you know, I often draw the the similarities between like a uh, Timothy Dalton Bond and a Daniel Craig Bond, and like the the more serious, like hard edged, you know, like fist fighting. James Bond kind of thing. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about what your favorite, uh, you know, you asked a question at oh, yeah. dinner. I was like, who's, who's your favorite Bond? And, and, and I divided it up against uh, modern, you know, James Bond films and, and early James Bond films. Um, and uh, my answer uh, was from Russia with Love was my favorite old James Bond film and uh, my favorite new James Bond film for no fault of the Daniel Craig films, which I do uh, thoroughly enjoy, but uh, I still have a nostalgia effect of GoldenEye being, uh, being one of my favorite James Bond films. And, and no, it has nothing to do with Famke Jensen's thighs. So what, uh, <laughs> what, uh, you sure what about yeah, I'm, young, I'm pretty young sure. Mountain Carl would probably disagree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're not we're not going to go back in time and have that conversation. But uh, but what about you? What, what were your favorites? Uh, which both of those are, are really great picks, especially, you know, from Russia with Love. I always remember the the brutal fight scene that was in the train. And then he's kind of waking up and and Pussy Glore introduces herself to him. And he's like, oh, I must be dreaming. Well, that might be. Well, hold on. That might be. Uh, you might be conflating Goldfinger and. Uh, was it Goldfinger? Yeah, because right, Pussy Galore is in is in Goldfinger. But you're right, Goldfinger is an excellent movie, and you get Odd Job in Goldfinger. So you gotta. Uh, okay. Now, now you gotta. Now you gotta look it up. It's but now, yeah. It has been a while. So yeah, you're right. It is Goldfinger. I just remember that there was another train scene on uh, from Russia with Love, right? Yeah, no, there is definitely. Yeah, a train that's probably where I got confused because so he was yeah. he was with his uh, he was with his love interest at the time, and and he was you know on the uh, on the train with the Smirsh agent or whatever yep. the the blonde you know like Aryan looking dude, and you know he, he's I can't remember what he said, but it was it was something that was really kind of uh, hokey. Like he, he always called him like old boy or whatever and then it turns out that he was just like this russian agent the entire time and yeah. they beat the hell out of each other on the train yep that was uh that was probably one of my favorite prolonged fight scenes in bond 
I liked Dr. No, obviously, for a lot of reasons, especially like the campiness of it. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's Sean Connery being Sean Connery. But the uh, if you look at the 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 actual evolution from Dr. No, uh, which I think had a fairly decent budget. And then they finally were like, holy shit, this thing like really works. Uh, from Russia with love is probably the first thing where like everybody's fully committed to the idea that like maybe this is going to go longer than mm-hmm. you know one film yeah so they threw they threw the book at it I have always enjoyed that uh I've always enjoyed that movie and I've always enjoyed the artwork that was created around it oh yeah um, yeah. yeah so I've always thought that was just a cool thing I never played the video they actually came up with a video game I think for Xbox that was they did. From, from Russia yeah. with love I never which, played it either I never played it, but I always thought, hey, well, like, what a cool concept. But it does kind of play almost like a a golden eye, like the the you know moving from the different scenes and everything yeah. like that, like, like the different scenery. Uh, you, you know, you have your Istanbul, and you. Yes, but the like the character actually looks like Sean Connery in it, and you. I remember seeing a picture of it like in Game Informer magazine back in the day, where you can fly on the jetpack and all that stuff. Yeah. I'm like, God, that looks awesome. That looks freaking sweet. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe we dig that copy up somewhere. Yeah. Uh, give that a little playthrough. But, uh, there was also, uh, speaking of real tangent, strange shit that happened this week. Um, uh, the Tesla Cybertruck was <laughs> yeah. unveiled. Right. And I think we, I'm, I'm not going to talk about that too much. Obviously it's a little, uh, off the wall, but, the reason I brought it up is because the joke is obviously that it looks like uh, like a low res render of an actual truck, right? Like it's just got a bunch of angles on it, and mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah, it looks more like a concept than anything. Yeah, and uh, someone took the image of the Tesla Cybertruck um, and put it into a hacked copy of Goldeneye, <laughs> and uh, for the tank level. Mm-hmm. Right for N sixty four, and uh, it actually looks like it's supposed to be there. And they've got like a you know how they you know the weird crap they did with N sixty four with the the faces on Goldeneye. Oh yeah, they're just they're blocky. Yeah, yeah. Rare took like pictures of people's faces and just kind of like you know scrubbed it into a low res version and just like you know pasted it onto whatever yeah. model it was. <laughs> well, they did that with uh, like a goofy Elon Musk picture oh my god and it, it's it's really like the whole thing is really <laughs> stupid you know because i mean it's the tank level of golden eye so who doesn't remember that right right but, right the stupid minds and stuff here, yeah though. yeah but it was uh but it, it's actually kind of a, a fun thing yeah go go on youtube and check it out but uh but anyway enough in 64 nostalgia yeah well to so to answer your question um yeah my favorite old school bond was thunderball um, yes, that one just had like all the feels and with Largo and you know I can remember his name now and I couldn't during now the game. after yeah after yeah. you botched it at the yeah. game yeah and then uh, Casino Royale is probably my favorite modern and probably my favorite Bond yeah definitely my favorite Bond film of all time like it's just Casino Royale is everything in it that uh, I would look for and, and it's probably the most accurate uh, depiction of Bond on screen compared to how he's depicted in an Ian Fleming novel. So yeah, you could, you could have made Mads Mikkelsen, uh, the bad guy in 
every Bond movie and just called him something different, and I would have been okay with that, honestly. <laughs> like if if he just like played different characters every single time, because I I feel like that man was born to be a Bond villain. Mm-hmm. Um, that he like the whole the whole movie I I loved. I loved the way it was shot. I loved the way it was directed. Um, it music, was a everything very inspired film and uh i told you on friday i'll tell you again for our listeners the only thing that i didn't love about the movie was the fact that it really ended uh at least twice right and i think that it wasn't a pacing issue because i was always invested in it but it was like it almost had like a 30 minute epilogue Mm -hmm. to it as far as like uh everything kind of ramped up to uh if i remember it correctly that that scene where uh you know obviously everything happened in the casino and all that kind of stuff but he like he, he kind of was tying up loose ends and he shows up to that villa you know and he's got his this a famous shot with him with like that you know suppressed you know ump that he's got over his shoulder and everything and it's like that was on all the titles and everything that was mm-hmm. out there um that made him look real badass and I was like, oh shit, the movie's over. Like that was a great that was a great movie. And then like after he's like fully recovered and, and like been a badass and like gone and gone and done it and killed that dude. And then you're like, wait a minute, uh we're gonna talk about like wrapping up the love story and like betrayal and all kinds of shit. And I was like, ah, I was not mentally prepared for this at all. So <laughs> it was uh it was a little bit of a surprise. But I I, I mean I I loved I love the movie as a whole, you know, if it's on TV, I'm going to, I'm absolutely going to watch it. You know, I'll pop it in every now and then, uh, you can't, uh, you can't deny that the, the soundtrack to that one was absolutely bitching. With oh the yeah. Yeah. Lead, lead singer of Soundgarden. I can't remember his name right now, mm-hmm. yep. but, uh, you know, may he rest in peace, but, uh, man, what a, what a tight movie that was. I cannot, I can't deny that at all. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe the reason I like Goldeneye so much was because it was kind of the last of the kitschy fonts, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we've already talked about Roger Moore and how there's a lot of stuff that infuriates me <laughs> about those Bond movies, you know. But the, uh, I think to both of us, I mean, there's so many, and and like some of them are very memorable, and some of them are like, how the hell did that happen? Like, how did that get made? Yeah. Well, like those scenes that popped up and seen it, you know, and, uh, yep. you know, obviously I, we, I knew which movie it was whenever he's in the car and it, it does the barrel roll in the air and you hear, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does a slide whistle thing. Oh, yeah. God. That's, uh, that is so quintessential Roger Moore bond. Like yeah. they had, uh, they had that and they had the, um, that weird, like Southern, uh, like you know the guy played the police, sheriff police officer yeah and and he's just like you know God dang it, and it's like the kind of stuff you'd expect to see in like Smokey and the bandit mm-hmm. you know which that's when bond uh, they didn't know like what they wanted to make the movies so they just emulated and copied some stuff yeah they did everything else yeah so that's like some of it was kind of cool right like boat chases and like oh yeah, flood, yeah you know going over that uh like that berm or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. full blast. I was like, that's a pretty cool shot, except for the fact that that, that asshole uh, sheriff is like in there being a goon <laughs> the entire time. I was just like, oh, you were really screwing this shot up, dude. Oh, man. 
but it was it was interesting. So what what was interesting in seeing it is there were there were a few like infuriating moments and in that game uh where i mean i got one where it was like it was like a zoom in of a cockpit of a helicopter it was just a picture it was like okay guess this film and i'm like what? yeah <laughs> i'm like this could be anything it looks like 60s or 70s but i have no idea yeah. and then what, um what the ass is that yeah well you got one where it was like a big what the what the fuck moment <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it was uh it was like a scene from from dr no and like the whole thing about seeing it is it'll ask you you know like really really esoteric questions or like really specific stuff like uh you know how many times did bond stomp on like so-and-so's hand you know like that kind of thing mm-hmm. it'll be like oh shit like i hope i counted that so the whole time i was watching uh like you and i were both were like looking at dials to see what they left it at like we were like, counting the number of times he's you know got stomped or the number of punches that were thrown or all kinds of weird crap and uh and it was like infuriating because we watched this, you know, two minute scene from Dr. No, uh, which was a great scene. Uh, but, it, you know, because it's when it's when the bad guy is falling into that pit and he can't like grab onto the rail and he's got those metal hands and it's like classic. Bond. But um, the answer or the question was like. Uh, like who like the actress's name of like his love interest or something and i was like it, and she was not even in the clip yeah she wasn't so even I, in I was, the scene yeah i was like what what the hell just happened like it was like a two-minute like exposition of a fight too yeah and like i could have looked at the back of like an index card you know and and been like oh hey uh or a playing card rather and and been like they could have asked that question on any of the the stuff you know, that they had on those playing card questions, right? They didn't have to show me two minutes of film in a fight scene and then ask me a completely unrelated question. So right. anyway, that's, I'm sure that they got that kind of cr- critique from uh, from all the, the Bond nerds out there that bought the game, you know, and probably wrote nasty grams to them. Yeah. So that's that's fine. I don't, I don't think they listen to this podcast, so. Yeah, or, you know, I mean, they had different levels of questions, like basic Bond, uh, beyond Bond, and then brilliant Bond, yeah. which was like the most expert one. And I think, I want to say it was like a basic Bond, or maybe it was beyond, but, um, but you know, your your girlfriend ended up getting a question. It was like, name at least two producers on this film. And it's like, for the uninitiated who don't really know Bond, they're not going to know Barbara Bricoli and, and right. uh, Michael G. Wilson. So Exactly. Yeah. Dude, that was that was a fun game it, it was uh for people who are interested if you're, if you're a hardcore fan of a of a movie or a tv show it's absolutely worth it especially if there are a lot of seasons to draw from right mm-hmm. like uh like if there's like a friends seen it or something like that if you're obsessed with that kind of thing then go for it uh it's got a lot of replayability uh they do a really good job with it actually but uh but yeah i mean like I said, when you when you know that a new Bond's coming out in three years, it's kind of hard to like draw your line in the sand and be like, yeah, this is the one that I want. Yeah, I'm sure they'll probably release uh, release it again after you know No Time to Die comes out and and all that. So that would be pretty cool. But speaking um, of which, since we're still on Bond, maybe we should talk about that that sweet sweet No Time to Die. Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about it. So. Uh, yeah, that came out on Wednesday, and so Wednesday morning, that was the first thing I did when I woke up before I got ready for work. Uh, turned on YouTube and watched it like I think twice in a row. Right. No, it was. Uh, 
it was it was to to quote Mountain Girlfriend, action packed. Uh, I was I was almost like surprised about how much they tried to fit into it, and I don't know what the runtime is going to be. Uh, it's not like I'm looking for it to be the longest Bond or anything like that, but it was. There's a lot that they cover yeah. in, in that film. Um, you know, Spectre changed scenery quite a bit, but it was always very, it lent itself very well to the overall story. It, it wasn't like, you know, superfluous kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I always look for that when I'm looking into like a Bond film and that kind of thing. Like, did they just change scenery because they had the budget or did they do it because it actually like lent itself to the story and it was a an interesting thing that they wanted to add in there um some of the timothy dalton bonds uh or at least one of them was kind of guilty of that you know just like oh we're in a we're in a volcano now um <laughs> but yeah it was it was very interesting um what was your favorite part about that trailer as a whole uh aside from the fact that there was a punch being thrown or a car being driven at every single like yeah smash I know, shot. right yeah from that to, you know, him carrying like a military spec, uh, you know, M4 or something, you know, and of course he's right. showing off the new watch that he has, but you have uh, to. yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think, uh, well, my favorite part is, is other than the action parts, like obviously the Aston Martin, uh, that he's in and he's having to bring out the guns. And so I'm, I'm glad that that car is getting a major, uh, you know, spotlight because really, I you know he, I mean, he used it a little bit in Skyfall, but it it you know ended up getting blown to smithereens. So right, um, yeah, I'm glad that that's back in a big way. But I'm really happy that Felix Leiter is back and yeah. that they got uh, Jeffrey Wright back in as Felix, and you could tell that you know he's kind of the one that's you know one of the the main characters uh, responsible for bringing him back into the fold. And saying, you know, it, he's the only one that can help him and he really needs his help. So looking forward to seeing that dynamic on screen again. And hopefully there's a lot of screen time for for Felix. Uh, but, yeah, it, there's a lot of a lot of stuff to take in and digest, you know, of, of showing him, showing, you know, James where he's in. I'm, I'm thinking it was in Jamaica or Bahamas, one of the two. Um, right. Where he had settled down. But obviously you know, uh, Leia Sado's character that he ran away with has some secrets and poor Bond just can't catch a break with women, you know? <laughs> so, nope. uh, yeah, I can, I can relate, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but what is, uh, what is your favorite, uh, part of the trailer? Um, I think I knew it was going to happen, but, um, it was kind of like the Hannibal Lecter moment that he has with, uh, Blofeld there um you know where he's like walking in and it's like talking to uh oh god now hold on one second i'm gonna I, so i don't screw up his name oh um, right yeah yeah absolutely um uh christoph waltz that's right yep um christoph waltz uh love him as an actor mm -hmm. um who was i think actually discovered relatively late in his career oh yeah and uh but but very good um that interaction that he and uh daniel craig have was a pretty strong performance inspector and uh this time 
with like I said, kind of that like silence of the lambs thing going on where he's just like stuck in prison, but he's always like, you know, he's kind of dropping breadcrumbs for bond, you know, for that brief second. And then you hear his voiceover for a little bit of the trailer, you know, like, Oh, everybody has secrets, that kind of thing. Um, I, I thought that was, uh, narratively the best part of the trailer because it really explained to you why things go off the rails and in a, in a, because before we all knew that something drew him back in, like that wasn't really a secret. But the uh, like the Leah Sado stuff that's happening and and everything in his life that kind of goes wrong it really it really drives home the connection that somehow Christoph Waltz and her and she and him all all have something that's dragging dragging them back together to Spectre right mm-hmm. so I thought uh I thought that was a a easy uh, an easy but compelling way to tell the audience that, you know, kind of the substance of the film while everything was exploding and, you know, gunshots were being fired and punches were being thrown. Um, it was, it was actually a pretty, pretty simple, but smart touch. So I, I, I definitely enjoyed that. Also, I enjoyed the guns being fired, the punches being thrown and the cars being driven. It was just a freaking cool trailer. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was smash cut city. I mean, like, yeah, it was it was made for for my ADD generation to be sure, but uh, but it was a good it was a good fun trailer. Yeah, and that's usually how the the first trailers are, right? They're kind of a yeah. sample of everything that you know, checking off everybody like the action junkies list, and and to get the uninitiated initiated, right? So right, that's pretty much uh, what first trailers are designed to do. So next one, I expect more exposition and more moody type of scenes and stuff like that uh rami malik's character looks pretty badass I've yeah, as i said say. we can't we can't let that go away we can't not talk about rami malik's character yeah um who you don't really get a whole lot of info on unfortunately um yeah you but know. i mean you know you know that it's going to be his show i mean he's obviously capable of of acting he's proven that you know many times now thankfully so uh, it's, it's going to be cool seeing shots with him and Bond in the same scene, especially since that was such a pain in the ass to schedule, apparently, thanks to the injuries that, that Daniel <laughs> Craig had. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about trailers, and so I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. Uh, speaking of trailers that gave, gave away the entire farm in the first shot, uh, have you seen the trailer for Bloodshot? Yet the new Vin Diesel movie. I did. Yep. Um, I'm. I was watching it, and I don't know the backstory entirely. I kind of did the Wikipedia snooping mm-hmm. on it, you know. But uh, people that are fans of Bloodshot, because uh, there are those fans out there. That's how the movie got made, right? But if you're listening, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But I have the biggest suspicion that they just basically sold it all in the first trailer like they gave away all the twists immediately yeah I agree. um it was it, for someone who was not you know completely uh invested in that world before i was kind of pissed uh because i had the i had the benefit of being ignorant mm-hmm. to what happened in the comics uh aside from a very top-down view 
and I was reading kind of the, what the director was talking about. And he was like, Oh man, like people aren't going to even be ready for it. It's such a good twist. Like there's so many twists in the end of the movie and like, they're going to freak you out and everything like that. And then like, I saw the trailer and I was like, if they've got more than what they showed me, like, I don't believe you. Right. I mean, like, I think if you're, if you want to see bloodshot and you haven't seen the trailer, don't see the trailer because I'm fairly certain that it sells the entire movie, like including twists immediately which is like the worst kind of trailer in my yeah. opinion. So anyway, I thought that was, uh, that was something that I watched a while ago and I know like the trailer looked bitching, right? I mean, like yeah. it looked really cool mm-hmm. and it's a, it's kind of hard to sell a concept without a little bit of spoilerish stuff, but man, did they, I think they effed up pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I, and that's kind of the, the fine line you have to walk. And some people even complain about the new no time to die trailer and, and people were like, oh, it just gives away the whole movie. And they're like, you don't really know. You know, it's you don't that, really know. And it's kind of like going back and watching the trailers for Casino Royale and all those. Like, you have to give a little bit of information there to know what the movie's about. I mean, it's not going to be like a Christopher Nolan trailer where it's just like some dude looking in a camera and that's it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, Christopher Nolan can get away with it. But. You know, for it's a compelling like, enough reason to go see it, right? Yeah, for something like Bond, you you kind of want to put stuff in there that excites people. So I don't think they gave away the entire movie at all. But um, but yeah, for Bloodshot, I feel like I kind of felt like they did, but that remains to be seen. But um, yeah. Uh, but before we we played scene it the other night, we were able to catch up on uh, the Mandalorian episode five, the Gunslinger. Uh, which is a think great about name. That? Yeah, it was a great episode. Yeah, episode uh, title. And that's, I, I read a lot of reviews from other people. Uh, I try not to let the color my, you know, the lens that I see it through and everything. But right. The, uh, the, the interesting stuff uh, from the gunslinger was that, and I thought I enjoyed it, even though there were obvious like fan service stuff that happened in there. Uh, and I've already said, Hey, I don't like the fact that you go to destinations and stuff like that that literally have nothing to do with the overarching anything of the actual plot. Um, and I think this might have suffered from that a little bit. Uh, you could have gone to probably some nameless planet, and it would have been less co- less cool for people who actually knew about Star Wars lore. Um, there's, it's not giving anything away. It's Tatooine, right? Yeah. Um, so the the whole the whole thing is that didn't really have any kind of bearing on on much of anything uh, at least not yet and so I'm I'm kind of trying to figure out like uh, why that mattered and I think that was kind of where a lot of the reviewers that were checking this thing out they're like oh it's just a fan service is not good and I'm like you have to you have to look past kind of the superfluous you know extra shit that happened like. Uh, there are there were a lot of fan service things in this in this episode, um, but I, I still think it was a good episode. I think I think the actual music was very different mm-hmm. than what we've seen even in the past, you know, three or four episodes. Obviously, like you had a problem with the first episode score, uh, second episode, and third episode, uh, and fourth episode, in my opinion, nailed it. Um, this one was kind of different. It was almost like a little bit more whimsical in some parts, you know, and, and like added a little bit more levity to some situations like, uh, like baby Yoda kind of like walking around 
you know, outside of the ship and stuff like that. And they were like, do, 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 do. I was like, what the <laughs> hell is going on? Um, but for the most part, uh, there are like in every Mandalorian, uh, episode, uh, thankfully so far, they've had very memorable scenes, yeah. right? Like very, uh, whether it be action, um, not so much dialogue from Mando's point of view, but like, uh, there, there are very well, um, well choreographed, well directed, clearly storyboarded scenes. And this one was no exception. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm of course talking about kind of the speeder, the speeder bike and the flash bomb kind of thing that they were, they were doing there. Um, that was probably the biggest standout to me. What, what did you think about it? Well, I, I thought the episode was awesome how it started uh, because it started where he's being chased by another bounty hunter who's uh, they're flying through space and basically he's engaged in a dogfight or he's really just trying to out, you know, uh, maneuver this guy who's, you know, clearly on his tail and uh, is, is clearly, you know, causing damage to a ship, uh, shooting him down. And, uh, you know, obviously he's he's after, you know, Baby Yoda. So it's just it's never going to stop. They're just going to keep coming. And I mean, you think about how many bounty hunters are in that universe alone. Um, it's insane. So, uh, I thought that was a cool way to start it. And then that's explains how he ends up on that planet to get his his ship repaired. Um, but yeah, as far as Tatooine goes, you know, we were kind of like, wait, is that, is that Tatooine, you know? And then, um, you know, sure enough, you see the, uh, uh, what were those creatures called again? The the guys, the oh, um, uh, was it the, they're not are they sand people? I don't know. But, yeah, uh, I, I guess you can call them sand people. But yeah, yeah, you know that that it was kind of cool to see them. But uh, Tuscan Raiders, that's yeah, the be. Tuscan Raiders, yeah. So that was cool because we've already seen the Jawas, and you know, so that's that that kind of brought back that nostalgia a little bit for me. But uh, <clears throat> but the thing about Tatooine is you know going into that bar and he ends up meeting the guy who's, you know, got the bounty and stuff. The way the guy is is basically positioned and how he's just chill laid back sitting in that corner which looks almost identical to the corner that Han Solo sat when he he shot, you know, uh uh Guido Guido. Guido. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so it, I that was kind of reminiscent of that um but you know, it was a very low key bar. You didn't have the crazy music going on and, you know, people getting you know all these creatures getting drunk you had a cool fly that was sitting at the bar i thought that was kind of cool right (laughs) uh but the the interesting thing was when they're walking through and you see through one of the alleys there's just a bunch of sticks with a bunch of like stormtrooper heads at the the end of these sharp sticks uh it's kind of like an a, a warning sign to anybody who is still on the empire side you know the empire again this is years after just like i think between five to nine years after return of the jedi so you kind of see where everything was once under empire rule which we all saw in in uh you know the uh star wars new hope uh but you know now everything's changed i kind of feel like though that overall they they could have done a little bit more to add in some easter eggs into tatooine but, you know, at the same time, I'm kind of glad they kept everything on track because they did have a lot of story to cover and, and all that. But, uh, but yeah, I thought overall, I thought it was a, a really good episode. It's just more of, you know, that's just kind of, I really dig the way that this is going because it's not kind of like, it is a continuation of, you know, 
him with baby Yoda, but it's not like a, there's never an episode where you're left at a, at a cliffhanger, like, okay, what's going to happen next? And it's in the middle of a firefight or something. So, you know, it's just kind of a continuation of adventures that him and baby Yoda are going on as he's trying to, you know, outrun, um, you know, this bounty. And I'm, I'm kind of curious where everything's going to come ahead to. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm very, very happy with most of the episode, obviously the, uh, Ming Na, uh, Ming Na Wen character, uh, I was hoping to get a little bit more mileage out of, um, she, uh, she's a, she's a fun actress. Um, if you guys don't remember who she was, uh, only, only fan service, uh, people will remember her from the street fighter movie with John claude Van Damme. <laughs> I, I believe, I believe she was actually Chung Lee. Wow. Um, and she's like, I think she's in her forties now and she is still kicking ass. I mean, like she was, do- I mean, if that wasn't a stunt double, like she was doing all kinds of crazy shit. I know she's a martial artist, but damn, I mean, like that's she- crazy. So yeah, I mean, that movie came out a long time ago. Oh yeah. So she no, must've it- been real young. She did uh, agents of shield uh, after, well, long after that, that's probably her most recent thing before she, she did this. I, I don't know of any connection between, uh, agents of shield and, um, you know, star Wars, except for Disney in general. Right. But, uh, yeah. but she's, I mean, she's a fun actress. Um, she does good work and, and it was, it was kind of interesting. Like I said, I was hoping to get a little bit more mileage out of that character. Um, what was it that, okay. So the guy in, in the cantina, uh, Toro, right? Like yeah. I will go on record saying that that guy is just a chode. Like, <laughs> no one liked him when he, came nobody, nobody likes him. Even your like, girlfriend's like, this guy's. <laughs> yeah. He's just, he's just, he's just a freaking tool. And, uh, I know, I know we're going to have to like see him again at some point, I think. Right. That's the kind of the, yeah, what we were left with, but it's just kind of like, uh, there hasn't been any character that I just haven't in like, I'm supposed to not like this guy though. Right. That's the whole point. But, uh, but yeah, he's just, God, he sucks. Um, and then the big, the big thing at the very end was a mysterious character walking up with spur sounds, you know, to a, the dead. Oh fuck. I guess I spoiled it. The dead Ming-Na Wen uh, yeah. character. Right. Um, so yes, <laughs> if you, <laughs> if you were going to watch this and expected anything else, now, you know, um, yeah, one one of the coolest scenes though in that episode was when they're on the bikes trying to get to her, and she's got this badass sniper rifle. And so he comes up with the the great idea where they wait till it's dark, and then they shoot flares towards her that blinds her because she has like a thermal scope. And yeah. uh, I thought that was pretty cool. No, I thought that was probably the most memorable scene in the entire episode. Um, but that I, I like it's like we talked about. I think they storyboard a lot of this like cooler action scenes and everything, and, and that clearly showed off. Like they they clearly put a lot of time into and thought into that kind of interchange. So right. they've always done smart action in this show. Uh, like it, it always pays off in that way. Uh, even even the stuff that you think is going to be dumb action gets smart at the very end with like the whistling birds and stuff like that. You know, I mean, like obviously I'm. I'm calling it dumb action because it doesn't require the, you know, a lot of uh, planning or forethought or any, like you just hard charge into a place and, and blow shit up. And I, I am a huge fan of that kind of thing, but 
the uh they always add one extra little layer of of thoughtfulness to it um mm-hmm. but yeah no overall just you know keep kicking ass mandalorian love that show uh we'll i think the next one actually comes out uh friday and then after that on christmas time it actually comes out wednesday so it's a little bit different release schedule yeah uh as we get into the holidays kind of what i thought would happen is they would change it up a little bit in terms of the release but um yeah definitely looking forward to future episodes for that uh there was an interesting speaking of nostalgia there was an interesting uh news report that came out this week that the original director of honey i shrunk the kids uh joe johnson is in talks to return to reboot the I don't know, maybe franchise, I'm sure. Uh, and it's going to star Josh Gad as, uh, I'm assuming, the father, the, the, the scientist who ends up shrunk, shrinking his kids and his entire family just about. <laughs> and I, so I love Rick Moranis, right? Like, just in general, all yep. the stuff that he did in, uh, in the 80s and 90s, he always, he always made me laugh. He was always a, a fun actor. Uh, Josh Gad is a good choice for this role. Uh, and I'm and I'm actually I'm hoping they do it in a way that's uh, it's hard to do this in the way that holds up. Let me just say that like if I watch Honey Honey I Shrunk the Kids again, um, I'd still enjoy it today though. I mean like maybe for nostalgia factor, but uh, it, it's kind of interesting. The one that gets the most uh, play on TV on like you know TBS and stuff like that was like uh, Honey I Blew Up the Kid. Yeah, which by the way, uh, what a title. Like, I mean, it's, I understand it from like contextually, but if you were just going to like, if all you were doing was reading down a sheet of titles for movies, right? Like some Excel sheet of like stuff that you had to rent in a movie theater, or I'm sorry, like a blockbuster or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you came across a title that said, honey, I blew up the kid. What What would you think of like without knowing that Rick Moranis and like that sounds like a horror movie. It does, yeah. But but what other word do you use? Like enlarged, embiggened, <laughs> honey. I embiggened the kid. Um, yeah, no. There's there's not a good way to actually say that. I just whenever I read that again, I was like, it wasn't the second one called Honey. I blew up the kid. I was like, oh my shit. Yeah, like yeah. that is that is a it's a rough title to swallow. It's a, and then the third one was obviously Honey. We shrunk ourselves, um, <laughs> which apparently was a straight to VHS. Oh yeah, at that point, uh, yeah, yeah. We kind of everybody kind of got over it, which I saw. You yeah. know, I was I was still still hooked on those things. It was thankfully the '90s, so that all played very well at the time. But uh, rem- remember, 1997 was when Honey We Shrunk Ourselves came out, and Air came out, and two years later we got The Matrix. So things changed <laughs> quite a bit <laughs> at that at that time. Or, uh, or not, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I am very excited about this and I, I can see a lot of people going to this as long as they keep it in the fun, you know, kind of family friendly environment. This is just a cash cow. Like there's no way this isn't going to make it back. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I, I think it's the right time to, and, you know, maybe if you get some of the original actors, actresses to make a cameo appearance, you know, that that wouldn't be a bad thing either. 
if anybody can remember uh, some of them. But uh, yeah, the original film was just was just great. That was definitely part of my childhood. But um, absolutely, uh, Rick Rick Moranis can can continue to live on in obscurity for uh, forever. Now that he's no longer acting, you know what's not obscure? Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Uh, didn't you see Ford versus Ferrari recently? Uh, yes, which is not as obscure. Um, not and, as obscure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I saw that after we recorded last week and... Let me tell you, Ford vs. Ferrari is uh, so it's directed by James Mangold. As we know, he did Logan, um, right? And did the other Wolverine movie in Japan, um, and, and the, good, se- the good ones, yeah, and yeah, several yeah. other really great films. And this is probably one of his best films that he's done. Um, I would say it's probably even a better film than Logan, uh, and Logan was really kick-ass, right? So, right, you know, this, of course, as everybody knows, stars, uh, you know, Christian Bale. He plays Ken Miles, really f- uh, famous driver who ended up being the the only uh, driver. I, I think I'm trying to remember what the historical perspective is, but I think he's the only driver who drove an American car and won uh, Le Mans. Now he himself was not American. At least I don't think he was originally from England, but uh, so he ends up, uh, you know, Christian Bale stars in that role, and then you had uh, Matt Damon as Cheryl, Col- uh, Cheryl, uh, <laughs> not Cheryl, Shelby. Uh, is it Carol Shelby? Carol Shelby. Yeah, Carol Shelby. I always get yeah. the name all mixed up. Even I don't think I'm, Ken, Ken Miles. Well, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not, regardless of what you said. That's I'm not going to spoil the movie. You know, right, as right. far as what Ken Miles did in his his final. Uh, race at Le Mans, but please continue. Yeah, so you know, Le Mans is a 24 hour race. Uh, you know, the teams basically is just and they kind of the drivers drive in tandem, they end up pitting after so many laps, and then the other driver goes in, and then uh, the other guy tries to take a nap, gets up, and it's just it's a it's a crazy race. Uh, and so for them to take on Ferrari, which was the the massive, you know, machine that could not be stopped, um, whether it's the driver, the, the, you know, the, the cars itself, which were just gorgeous looking and could handle anything. It, it was pretty interesting to see how Ford ended up getting involved in this because you kind of see at the beginning of the movie where, you know, uh, Ford himself is, is just kind of like, okay, we're, I'm tired of this whole factory mentality where we're just making these boxy cars and, and we need to do something to separate ourselves from the pack and make it sexy. So, you know, it kind of involves the inception of the Mustang, but then it, it takes it a step further because, um, you know, Shelby gets involved and he's already doing his own thing with the Shelby Cobra. Right. And uh, so to see him kind of get pulled in and, and Ford's like, I don't care what it takes, you know, I, I want you to bring them down at Le Mans, you know, yeah, go, and, go to war, yeah. yeah, go to war. And, uh, it was interesting though, because it, it showed a lot of the, uh, politics, the business politics, which everybody who's out there, who's, uh, worked at a, uh, at a corporation has had a corporate job where you have that whole structure and hierarchy, uh, one way or another, you've probably encountered a, a moment or a year or, you know, uh, a moment in time where, there's been some sort of uh, red tape or, you know, 
some sort of uh, inner political mess that happens when it comes to corporations where, you know, you probably have a good idea or somebody you know has a good idea, but it gets struck down because somebody who's brown nosing it, uh, you know, is able to kind of strike it down and it doesn't get up to the top. Or whoever's at the very top doesn't have a backbone to, you know, follow it through. So it was interesting to see where it's like Ford had enough backbone to follow through with the idea. But then it was like, oh, no, uh, you know, we don't want Ken Miles because he doesn't represent the Ford brand. He's not this. He's not the, the every every man that we want. And he doesn't have a sterling reputation. He's difficult to work with and all these other things that have been labeled on him. So he had very much like an unfair start, but not to his discredit because you do see where he is a little bit difficult and even throws a wrench at Shelby's head, misses and breaks his own windshield. (laughs) So (laughs) that was pretty great. And just to see the dynamic, I mean, those two, uh, just Damon and and Bale were just, uh, man, they were just on fire. Like those guys really brought their A game to this movie and um, everybody involved, even, um, you know, uh, the actress that played, uh, Ken Miles wife in the film, his son, there was a really good dynamic there. And it really went into the feels of racing and, and some of the, the technicalities with it as well. I'm sure, you know, I'm not, you know, the, the more, the forthright expert when it comes to racing. And I'm sure those out there, we probably know one individual in particular who's probably going to shit on it. But, you know, but again, this is a film, so it's all about film adaptation and getting the story across the screen as well as trying to pull at the heartstrings. And this one really does an excellent job at it. But the uh, the directorial, uh, you know, perspective of the shots of the races themselves, um, you know, it. Yeah, you could tell there was some CGI, but a lot of it there wasn't. And uh, I thought it was a nice blend of how they got the races in there and, and the perspective of the driver. And and it, it's probably one of the best race films that I've seen. Um, so, yeah, if you're really big into racing films, definitely check this one out. Um, it was really, really good. So I would give, man, this is probably... Next to the Joker, this is probably my other favorite film this year. This is probably one of right. the best films I've seen. So, I, I yeah, I'll go ahead and give it an a plus. Okay, damn, hot damn. Yep, that's a good that's a good rating. Um, I, I hope that uh, I hope that Sam Bino doesn't have a heart attack when he hears that. We're rating it on on the uh, on the movie and storytelling, not necessarily the veracity of the film, Sam. Yeah, um, you know, like if he had a striped suit versus a solid color, I don't give a <laughs> shit about that, dude. Like, come yeah, on. <laughs> for for those that for those that don't know, uh, Sam Bino uh, is an absolute gearhead, and, and I am uh, to some respect. We actually did um, twenty four hours of lemons uh, together, which is basically the broadcast version of Le Mans. Um, you buy a five hundred dollar car, and uh, you can't have it running for more than five hundred dollars. And then you take it to an endurance race. So we got to do that uh, with another friend of ours. And uh, I, I can tell you, uh, even when you're racing crap cans at uh, slightly more than highway speeds, um, it is expensive. It is dramatic. And uh, I, it's it's the best time that I may never want to reproduce again. 
but uh it is it's it's kind of like when you when you uh when you're at a freshman dorm room or something like that it's just an absolute shit show every night you know kind of thing and you're like hey, you got out of that kind of mentality right but you always look back and you say uh wow that was the best time of my life that i never want to repeat a lot of that is uh similar to i think racing in general um uh we had a 1997 ford thunderbird and that's that car is ugly as sin oh yeah but it is uh but it was there's a lot we can talk about there i'll save that for some other time but the bottom line is we we had the uh low rent lowest rent version of endurance racing and it was still probably one of the most uh dramatic and impactful times of my life so i can only imagine what people are doing this in the big leagues what that's like with dealing with sponsorships and you know actual talent um you know in the level of fitness that you have to maintain and everything and then uh kind of that that's you know snapshot of the late 60s early 70s that was this this time period where it's still kind of the wild west and uh there's a lot of themes that get wrestled with in this story um you know it's it's the like american machine versus you know the italian boutique you know artist um you know like throwing a shit ton of money at a problem kind of thing but then it, it that's only at the surface right that's if you're trying to be super negative about uh like ford's point of view Whereas if you wanted to be positive about Ford's point of view, it's uh, them probably investing in some of the best talent that ever drove, um, especially at that time period. Uh, and I don't know how far back it goes because I haven't seen the movie yet. Oh, McLaren's one of the other drivers. Bruce yeah. McLaren. Okay. Yeah. That's, I was going to, I was, didn't want to spoil anything, but yep. yeah, Bruce McLaren um, is, is certainly a big part of that. Um, uh, Mario Andretti is another big name that shows up in the actual story itself. Um, there's a, a, a yeah, there, it's it's literally a who's who of racing back mm -hmm. in the day, especially if you were attached to Ford in any meaningful way. It's it's kind of insane. I would recommend if you're if you're really hooked on the nitty gritty of it, but you want to read something that is uh, entertaining as hell, uh, the book or one of the books likely that this was based off of is a is a book called uh go like hell and it's uh it's by aj bame and uh he was a i think he was a writer for playboy for a while and he just uh, was a, he, he was in love with this story and he wanted to tell it in a very entertaining way uh he succeeds in that i've read it several times and i am uh absolutely in love with the the he brings a lot of you know context uh and brings a lot of dry material but he tells in a very exciting way and i feel like you get that even more so with uh with the movie even though there probably are things like composite characters and things like that that you can't get away from in storytelling on a movie um yeah i was i there's there's no question in my mind this is one of the best stories in racing um, and, and it'll make everybody, uh, laugh and cry if, uh, if they actually go all the way to the end of the story, which I won't spoil either, but, uh, it's, uh, it, it's incredible. And, and it's one of like, if you're into racing in any way, it's one of the must reads, uh, I believe, 
uh, and it, obviously this is a must watch is what it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's just, it's, it's quality and just all over the place. It's just, it's well done. The music is good. The production, just everything, everything about it. And I'm glad they made it now as opposed to like, you know, years ago where they'd probably put too much CGI into it or something like that. But yeah, it was the right actors, the right director, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome story so, too. One, one day we'll, we'll have a, a, a full conversation about the, the movement from, you know, purely practical effects to, you know, very CGI heavy <clears throat> work and then things like Stan Winston and that kind of thing, you know, cause obviously those, I mean, the people who are at the forefront of practical effects, that is uh, maybe one of the most uh, important and, and curious, uh, or makes for a very important and curious story, you know, in filmmaking. So, right, right. But yes, um, I've had a great time today, man. I really yeah, appreciate dude. it. It was another fun episode, but yeah, unfortunately we're out of time listeners. So, uh, Carl, want to thank you for joining and, uh, had a lot of fun the other night playing scene it and all that stuff. Definitely look forward to more game nights and movie nights. And, uh, we'll definitely have our review of episode, uh, six, six. of the Mandalorian coming next week. So listeners stay tuned for that as well as some other tricks we have up our sleeve. Uh, but again, thank you so much for listening, guys and girls, uh, to Sensibly Loud Radio. If you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sensibly Loud, and then on Facebook at Sensibly Loud Media. Stay tuned for next week's episode of Sensibly Loud Radio.